When you're smiling. Hey, you. Bubbly sparkling water is crisp, refreshing, and perfect for any occasion. Kind of like my voice, but in a can. No calories, no sweeteners, all smiles. Bubbly. Crack a smile. This episode is brought to you by Google. Google's two-step verification was built to secure your account and help prevent cyber attacks, even if your password is compromised. That's why Google has made it easy to sign into your account with this additional layer of protection. Just one tap and you're in. Learn more at safety.google. Hello, movie lovers. Welcome to the Best Damn Movie Related Show here on the internet. This is your host for Movies Lovers Unite, John DeGorio. For today's podcast, I'm going to be doing my 31 Days of Horror. Now, I realized that I didn't get around to doing my 31 Days of Horror like I wanted to because I had some stuff that came up. And, you know, I want to go on ahead and follow it up with doing not one, not two, but five reviews for... 31 Days of Horror. This is actually day 15 of the 31 Days of Horror. So if you're into horror movies and everything, you're going to be in in for a treat for tonight because pretty much this is going to be nothing but a horror movie thing for the first segment. It's nothing but horror related stuff. Then I'm going to be following it up with the Star Wars trailer. Then after the Star Wars trailer, I'm going to be talking about Jared Leto, about the fact that he wasn't in or even in this new Joker movie, instead it was Walking Phoenix, and he's kind of upset with the fact that it's actually Walking Phoenix and not him, and if this Joker actually belongs in that universe. And it also ticked off a couple of fans and stuff like that too, especially the announcement today where the Joker is not even going to be in the Harley Quinn Birds of Prey movie. But anyways, I'm going to get to that in a few minutes, so we're going to have a little bit of sweatiness when, it de- when it's dealing with the comic books. I do want to do a Watchmen review for episode one, but I need a little kind of, you know, marinate a little bit more with me. So I might actually do that for tomorrow because I need to get familiarized with the characters a little bit more. So tomorrow will be my review for episode one of The Watchmen, so stay tuned for that. But as I mentioned, it's day 15 of 31 Days of Horror, but I'm also going to be doing a review on a show that dropped on Netflix and everything as well, and that movie is called Eli. And I'll get to that, too. And then uh, they actually rebooted the Are You Afraid of the Dark series. And matter of fact, they were going to make this movie and make it a movie and everything at first. But then they realized, hey, we can actually make a three-part series because of how long this movie actually is. So therefore, they went on ahead and started making it a TV series. And this is actually the reboot. It actually has the kid, uh, the chubby kid from... Stephen King said, I know that's kind of mean to say, but I don't remember the kid's name. That's all I can remember. The kid who played Ben. There we go. The kid who played Ben is in this movie, in this TV series and everything. So there we go. So anyways, let's go on ahead and get into this thing now that I made it awkward. (laughs) So anyways, let's go. So it's day 15 of 31 Days of Horror. And first off, Child's Play 1988. This is a classic and everything. I actually think this is my first horror film I saw if not, it was Nightmare on Elm Street, and I'm actually going to be talking about that too. But the 1988 movie for Child's Play was a really good horror film during that time. And this movie actually starred Brad Dwarf as Chucky, 
And this is actually the first time that I actually heard of Brad Dwarf as a kid because I didn't know anything else he played in. This is actually what he's known for. But anyways, it sets up as a simple premise. Um, and the simple premise is this. At the very beginning, it opens up where a cop is chasing down this guy. We don't know what this guy has done, but, he, but we know that he's done some messed up stuff. So the cop winds up shooting him. He runs into, and then the, the, per, the perk winds up running into the toy store. Then he winds up transferring his soul into a doll. And then it shows the dip, dick corpse of the guy that died. So that was a beat. That was actually for a serial killer of Charles Lee Ray. And the cop thinks that he winds up killing him, which he really didn't kill him. He just transferred his soul into another in another being, or not another being, but just a doll. But anyways, then it opens up with Andy and his mother. And Andy wants a good guy doll. So it must be the same doll that Charles Lee Ray actually transferred his soul into. And he wants a good guy doll. And his mother, what does he, she, what does a good mother do? She goes on ahead and finds himself a doll. Finds the doll that her son actually wants. But instead of going to an actual store that actually has it, she buys it from a peddler. Peddler gives it to her and everything, and he goes about his business. And then some stuff winds up happening while she's at work. And Andy is actually being babysat by his Aunt Maggie. And then some stuff winds up happening on the news about Charles Lee Ray. Then, so it was be, Andy takes the doll to his ear and says, it says that Chucky wants to watch the news. So, you don't actually hear the dialogue at first that Chucky is really talking to him at all. You think that this kid is kind of, woo, kind of cuckoo because of the fact that this doll is actually talking to him. And, you know what, that's actually a kind of a little mystery, kind of psychological type thing here is where... You're wondering if this kid is actually telling the truth that Chucky is alive and wants to actually watch the news because it's regarding to him as when he was a human. And so anyways, she tells him no. She winds up, he winds up going to bed. Chucky's still laid out and everything. Next thing you know it, she sneaks up, sneaks and everything and something happens to Aunt Meg. We don't know what happened to Aunt Maggie or anything like that. We don't see that the doll actually did anything or anything like that. And then after that, it goes into where Andy's mother winds up coming home and sees detectives, sees cops all over the place and wondering where's Maggie at. So unfortunately, she got pushed out of the window. We don't know why she got pushed out of the window or how it happened. But the, And they think that the suspect is actually the kid because of the fact the footprints to the shoes that are on the counter matches up with the kid. And the kid is saying, no, Chucky's the one who did it because look, there's the footprints right there. My thought process is this. Okay, you're accusing of a little kid going on the counter. I understand your logic behind that, but look at the shoe size difference and everything. And everything. To me, I think the shoe size difference is a lot different than what Chucky's footprints actually are between Andy's and Chucky's footprints. But still, this is the 1980s, and we have to believe that these these cops are actually thinking it's Andy. Then, as as it gets closer and closer to where. The movie is actually at where you're dealing with the, where Chucky wants to go see this other guy, Andy Papaluto, or whatever his name is, and he winds up blowing up his house. And he once again gets accused of killing somebody that he didn't kill because oh, it the be he was there where Chucky was. And not only that, but we also don't get to see the dialogue between Andy, so we still think that he's kind of crazy. And then it goes into a whole entire 360 where. 
the mother threatens to throw Chucky into the fireplace because number one, he's been talking without batteries for the whole entire couple of days. And she's wondering, how is this even happening if he doesn't have batteries in the back of the compartment? And then the doll comes alive. She bites her and everything. And it just turns a total mayhem and everything, the way everything goes down. Because you're wondering through this whole entire time and everything, how are they going to go on ahead and kill this killer doll? that's being possessed by this by the soul that's inside this doll and man it's just messed up on the stuff that actually happens it actually traumatizes him through the whole all the rest of the series and everything and you know i really have to say this movie gave me nightmares as a kid yeah i know that it's kind of crazy to be scared of a doll but when you're little and everything and that doll is the same height as you yeah you'll be creeped out too because of the fact that you, there's a killer doll that wants to kill your ass. But anyways, that's how I feel, though. It's the fact that this movie gave me chills. It gave me nightmares. Now I laugh at it and everything. Not only that, but you can even tell that some of the stuff is actually from the 80s. There's 80s dialogue. Some of the stuff that actually the doll does actually looks like something that was actually in the 80s. Especially the way he moves and everything. You can definitely tell that the doll is not actually moving. And that's something that I didn't catch before up until I've watched it recently on Hulu. Yeah, you can actually watch this movie on Hulu if you wanted to. But, you know, there's cheesiness to this movie. This movie is good if you want a good little nightmare and everything and you want to introduce somebody to a film that they haven't seen before. Which I kind of find hard to believe that they haven't seen Child's Play. If you haven't, you've probably been living under a rock or you haven't been born in the 80s or anything like that. Or your parents probably didn't introduce you to this film. So if you haven't seen this, I recommend watching this movie. And, you know, like I said, this is one of those movies that you can actually watch. And either you can have a good laugh at because of the cheesiness. Or you can wind up being scared out of your mind with it. But another thing, too, is what I like about it, the fact is, too, they kind of use that first-person view type deal like they do with Halloween where you see Michael Myers, where you don't see Michael Myers, but you can actually see the whole entire first-person view of what he's doing, and that's exactly how he does it with Andy P- uh, Pluto, whatever the guy's name that he wound up, winds up killing at his house. Then another thing that's funny is, too, you actually see a stunt double that's actually dressed like the doll and everything. It doesn't even look like a normal-sized doll. It actually looks like a stunt double. That's actually something funny to actually put into this whole entire thing. But... It gives you a little bit of creepiness if you, like I said, if you're younger or whatever else, it gives you a little bit of creepiness to it. But anyways, if you haven't, if you saw Child's Play, cool. If not, go on here and check it out. Now I'm going to do a review for The Lost Boys. Now this is actually one of my favorite, favorite vampire movies. This is a cult classic. It came out in, 19, in 1987. It stars Keith, Keith Sutherland. It also has um, Corey Feldman in this movie. This movie is, to me, is really good. It has some cheesiness to it, I know, because it comes from the 80s. It gives you a little bit of background with the certain characters and stuff like that, too, but not enough to actually go on. There's no layers to these characters, so if you're thinking that you're going to lay out lots of layers to these characters, you're not. You're going to get pretty much paint by your number, the numbers type of movie, but the movie itself is really good. And with what I'm going to talk about right now is when two brothers, Michael and Sam, move with in with their moves to their with their mother to a small town in Northern California. Sam finds himself in a comic book shop where he meets geeky comic book nerds. They tell him that kids go missing because of vampires. 
Of course, Sam doesn't believe him, but he takes the comic book anyways, reads up on the vampires and stuff like that. Meanwhile, you have Michael, the brother, the older brother, and he sees this girl named Star. And, and what happens? He winds up getting into a motorcycle, dirt bike, motorcycle ch- race with these guys. And this is actually one of the guys from Bill and Ted's in this movie. Bill's in this movie. That's what I'm going to call him because that's how I know him by. And then you also have Keith Sutherland and everything. And let me just tell you, this movie will give you creeps because of the makeup and the special effects that they did. The practical effects was really good. And everything too. When Keith Sutherland's character gets introduced, you're, there's actually something more to that character. So there is a little bit of layers to to that one character in particular. But other than that, though, everybody else is just paint by your numbers type of deal. But you know, Keith Sutherland's character is one of my favorite characters in this movie. And you know, so anyways, he falls in love with this girl named Star, and so they get into the dirt bike uh, race and everything else, and. Of course, she's with Keith Sutherland, and he wants to be with her, but he wants to try to impress her like any other teenage kid. He goes on ahead, goes on this dirt bike race thing, and then all of a sudden there's this cliff, and he stops where he's at, and that's when, you know, stuff actually goes down. And so anyways, Michael goes into this cave with the vampires and everything else. He winds up drinking the blood and stuff like that, and he becomes a vampire. Well, a couple of days later, he um, a couple of days later, his brother winds up believing that he might be a vampire because of the stuff that's actually happening. And there's him being allergic to the sun. He's wearing sunglasses. He doesn't want to be under the sun. He doesn't crave food that much anymore or anything like that. He becomes like an emo kid in the 1980s where he doesn't want to move or do anything. But anyways, this movie is just fantastic in my honest opinion. I think that you guys are actually going to like this movie. And like I said, it's a cult classic. You can't go wrong with a cult classic like this. And, you know, the, my favorite part of this whole entire movie is when they're up in the tree. And they see this party going on. And within this party that's going on and stuff like that, Keith Sutherland goes on ahead and Bill does too. He goes and flies off the tree. And he goes and goes over to this where this party and everything is at. And they kill these people for their blood and Michael's horrified he doesn't want to be part of this thing or anything like that he just wants to get with Star that's all he wanted to do but here he is being a vampire but anyways then come to find out his brother wants to try to help him the only way to actually stop this from happening and making other people disappear because of them because of them taking kids and stuff like that is to kill the main vampire which is Keith Sutherland and then there's a twist to that aspect but he knows that he has to kill the head vampire in order for his brother to survive. He knows that he can't kill his brother because of the love that he has for his brother. And that's what I love about it is the fact that he can't kill his own brother or anything like that. So there's that aspect. And I'm just going to be honest with you. If you're into vampire type movies or anything like that, I would definitely check out the 1987 movie, The Lost Boys. And I think that you guys are actually going to love that movie. So, I'm going to fast forward to a couple of years later, to the year of 1999. Now, this movie is called House on Haunted Hill. This is actually a remake of the 1952 Vincent Price movie. And, let me tell you something. This movie uh, was the start of the WB Warner Brothers and Dark Castle uh, formula. 
where they actually formed their own type of production company for their horror films. And it started to be House on Haunted Hill was actually their first ever horror movie. This movie uh, was directed by William Malone, and it opened up on Halloween weekend, which is not bad. And then, and the, get this, it, this budget was $37 million, million and, a $40 million, and it made only $47 million. And some people will say, well, that's not bad because of the fact that it made its money back. No, it didn't. It didn't make its money back because you have to take a third of that away whenever you think about it. Because from box office, you have to take a third of it away because of the movie theater. Then the rest goes to the box office, and then they also have to pay, pay the PR people. They have to pay the directors. Yeah, they have to pay everything. And by the time they're done, this movie didn't really make anything. But this movie has a very good horror feel to it. Like, let me just tell you this. Vince, this this theme park and everything, it starts off in a theme park, which is actually pretty cool. And if anybody knows this, but if you remember in Orlando, Florida, in I, the Islands of Adventure, that's where that first park takes place in. And so it was, a, it was a great way to promote that theme park during its time because it was the opening of that time, of that time period for that park. And the roller coaster ride, the Hog, was actually pretty. Was actually one of the rides and everything that they actually used in the movie. And <clears throat> when you see this roller coaster go off the rails and everything, you're wondering if these people if that actually happened, but it was just an illusion to throw people off on the roller coaster to make them think that something horrible is actually going to happen on the ride. And that's what I love about it. And then there's also the whole entire fact too that you actually have this Vincent Price type of character even though the actor didn't want to be like a Vincent Price kind of character or anything like that in this movie it's just the way the makeup actually came out and everything and that's how he winded up being this Vincent Price type character and I remember actually doing watching commentary on it for the DVD and that's why he just wanted to be just a character without being compared to Vincent Price but it's just the way the makeup actually came out but this movie is actually about a insane asylum and they actually murder people in this insane asylum and everything and by this doctor and so it happens to be this doctor haunts this whole this asylum so this Vincent Price like character winds up uh, asking everybody to be in this haunted house for a contest for a million dollars so get this the cool thing about this house was they actually had to make this house so that's actually why this budget was so big was because they had to make sets they made like three sound studios i believe to make it to make it work but let me just tell you this the the whole entire thing is really good the chemistry between the characters are really good the characters and let me just tell you this the Vincent Price-like character, but the chemistry between him and his wife is really good, really spot on. And it actually has a dark comedy type of vibe to it, especially the way they actually act like they want to kill each other, but really they don't. They love each other. That's just the way their sick balances actually is. They're tw- dark and twisted. And I actually enjoy that aspect of them. Then it also has like that fast... Whenever I'm just dealing with the ghost, it has that fast-paced kind of feel to it where the ghosts are shaking really fast and everything and they move towards you really fast to be honest with you that has not been done before in that kind of style before and that was like an introduction to a new way of actually making horror films dealing with ghosts and that's also how 13 ghosts was actually copied in a way because of that special effect 
And, you know, I just feel like the chemistry actually worked with everything. Chris Kattan from The Night of the Roxburys was in this movie as well. He was just supposed to be just the driver that just went on ahead and drove away after he dropped off these people. But instead, he winds up getting locked in the house and there's no way that he can actually leave the house or anything like that because the whole entire house is just shut down. So they have to try and survive the whole entire night without leaving the house. And that's how they wind up, that's how they can actually win the million dollars. But the love interest and everything else in this movie just, and let me just tell you this, when you're dealing with love interest in certain movies, even horror movies or anything like that, it feels forced. But to me, the chemistry between those two characters actually worked and benefited itself. And it worked for those two characters to where I feel like they actually cared about each other. Then the CGI in this movie was very light as well. So, I mean, if you like this kind of horror style, ghost kind of story, stuff like that with haunted houses, I strongly am, I strongly encourage you guys to go in and check out House on Haunted Hill in the 1999 version. Now, I'm going to talk about another movie that that I really want to dive into. And it's actually from my childhood, believe it or not. And that movie is none other than Fred Savage's movie, Little Monsters. Now, this is actually a family movie that you can actually watch together. And it's about Fred Savage and his little brother. And get this, the little brother that's actually in this movie is actually played on... Get this. He played on... Boy Meets World. And let me just tell you, the chemistry between them worked very well because they're actually real brothers in real life. And you can actually tell that. And not only that, but Fred Savage also started his whole entire career with a version of what is Boy Meets World, but they called it the Wonder Years, dealing in another year, like 1950s through, I think, the 90s. I'm not 100% sure on that, on the way that it ended. But... Then Fred Savage, Fred Savage's brother, comes in and does Boy Meets World in the 90s. And it actually corresponds with what we went through as kids all the way up to adulthood. And that show is really good. But anyways, let's just focus on the main topic. But it's where these two brothers move into this house from Boston. And, and it also has Daniel Stern in it from, from Home Alone. And also Rookie of the Year. And Daniel Stern is actually one of my favorite comedic actors of the 90s. But anyways, they move into this home. And the little brother's scared to be in his room because he thinks monsters are living under his bed. So Fred Savage does what any other uh, brother would do. He goes on ahead, switches out rooms with him. Because he doesn't believe that his brother is actually telling the truth that there is a monster living under the bed. But... Turns out, there is a monster living under the bed named Maurice. Maurice is actually played by Howie Mandel. Howie Mandel is also the host for none other than America's Got Talent. And I really enjoyed his performance as Maurice. Maurice is actually one of my favorite characters from from that movie, from Little Monsters. And what I love about they, what they did was they used, like, kids' imagination when you're dealing with this, which is actually pretty cool. Because when you go underneath this bed at night, and everything there's other dimensions underneath this bed and they can actually go through different time zones underneath other people's beds and everything but the catch is if you wind up being trapped in there you become a monster yourself and here's the thing the main monster the big bad monster in this whole entire thing winds up taking fred savage's brother and he has to try and rescue him with him and his friends 
But another thing, too, I want to get at is the fact, too, that this guy, Kevin, who's who Fred Savage plays and everything, he doesn't have much friends. He's pretty much an outcast. The only person that he actually has in his life is Kristen. Kristen actually has a crush on him, but he, she think, he thinks that she doesn't like him the way that he likes her. But anyways, they all form together, even the bully that bullies uh, Kevin as well. And they all form together, and they try taking down these monsters. If you're looking for a good comedic timing with Howie Mandel and Fred Savage, I strongly recommend this movie. If you're looking for a movie that you can actually sit down and stop popcorn in your face and not take anything serious, and you can actually chill with your kids, I strongly recommend A Little mo- a little Monsters. And like I said, yes, it takes place in the 80s and everything, but... It has that little 80s nostalgia too, especially the paintball scene. And then also too, I love, I love the baseball scene where they're breaking TV sets with the baseball and stuff like that. I really enjoy that aspect too in that, in that movie. This movie is really good if you're wanting some good 80s nostalgia. And I strongly recommend it. Now I'm going to get into The Nightmare on Elm Street. This is going to be the last movie I'm going to be reviewing for the uh, 31 Days of Horror for tonight anyways. But anyways, this movie was came out in uh, 19, uh, in the 1980s as well. And this was actually New Line's first movie that they ever made. And they had to do a lot of special effects with this movie. And let me just tell you, the gallons of blood that they actually had to use to suck Johnny Depp into the bed itself was just amazing. Like, I never saw that much blood before. Because of that. But anyways, it's about Fred Cougar. He winds up... Uh, he winds up becoming a uh, child killer. And the parents don't didn't like the fact that he was actually a janitor at this high school. So they winded up burning him. And before you know it, he winds, makes a deal with the devil pretty much. And he winds up becoming Fred Cougar who hunts people in their dreams. If, you, if he kills you in your dreams, he kills you in real life. And that's where the premise is. Nancy is having these horrified dreams about Fred Cougar and everything. And and you don't know what's going on with with this whole entire thing. Everybody's having the same nightmare over and over again about this guy in a sweater with a hat on. And they, she doesn't understand the origin of what's going on. And then, two, Johnny Depp's character is trying to comfort her and stuff like that. And trying to be there for her as a friend. But he also he's also in love with her. And then... The mother tries to explain to her about what happened, why this is actually happening to her. And she explains to him, explains to her that on one night, the parents got together because they got fed up because of the fact that the courts actually let Fred go. And so anyways, they took justice into their own hands and burned him alive. And that's when he made the deal with the demon gods. That's what I'm actually going to call it. Not the devil, but the demon gods. And so... That's how he emerged into being Fred Cougar. And so anyways, you're, if you're looking for a good Nightmare on Elm Street movie, check out the 1980s original version, not the 2010 version. I know this is a kind of a cheesy cheesy kind of flavor to it, but it's Wiz Craven at his best and during that time. The special effects was really good for practical effects during its time. It was actually the first movie that New Line actually produced because it was a new company, and with the, if it wasn't for Nightmare on Elm Street, we wouldn't have a new line cinema at all, or anything like that, and I feel like, you know, this is just one of those movies 
too that I actually got scared of as a kid because I remember seeing the Freddy Cougar figures at Toys R Us of all places and it said try me and I remember having nightmares of me turning this thing on and being burnt alive because of Fred Cougar burning me alive but that's just what horror movies do they're supposed to horrify you you're supposed to be scared of a little bump in the night and everything and then you realize it's not really that really what it is or anything like that so you calm yourself down but that's what a horror movie is supposed to do and if the horror movie is doing its job then I have to say that it's commencing in a big way when you're engaging in a horror movie and engaging in the characters and actually getting sucked into this world. So anyways, if you haven't seen Nightmare on Elm Street, the original movie, I strongly encourage you guys to go on ahead and check that out. If you have, check it out and go on ahead and rewatch it again because it's that good of a horror film to actually watch over and over again. I actually own the DVD set the box set of the nightmare home street movies the sound quality is not that great but i would recommend blu-ray if you if you have a chance but anyways um that's all i have to say about the 31 days of horror as far as that goes now i'm gonna get into the netflix show eli and it's still fresh in my mind on everything about that movie and i want let me just say this the first 40 40 minutes of this movie is really good the rest of it, third third act, sucked. But I'll get to that in a minute, but I'm going to go to my positives. First off, this thing starts off where this kid, it's kind of like a bubble boy situation where you have this kid who can't go outside or anything like that or else he winds up breaking out. And, of course, he lives in a bubble. It's kind of like Jake Gyllenhaal, but in a horror movie, if you think about it, because he was in that movie Bubble Boy. But he can't go outside or anything like that or else he, winds, he could die. So... They put him in this bubble, and then all of a sudden they find out that there's this cure, this place that can actually cure him. So this place is actually cleaned of all germs, cleaned of everything. The environment is actually clean inside the house. And so the kid is kind of cautious about the place at first because of the fact that he wasn't able, he hasn't been able to actually adapt himself into a regular environment or anything. So taking normal showers was a brand new thing to him. And also, too, taking off that space suit like they have in the movie Outbreak was also another thing, too, that he hasn't, wasn't able to do since for a long time. So being in an environment to where he actually feels safe is actually a good thing. He takes a shower and everything else for the very first time. He feels good. He feels relaxed. He feels like that he can actually be himself a little bit. But at nighttime, that's when things start really happening, especially when it's dealing with this little mosquito that's actually landed inside, outside the uh, house. So anyways, we see the mosquito and he's kind of over there, out there in the window. And all of a sudden we see breathing on the window. And then we hear all these, and then there's some words that's actually imprinted on the window that Eli didn't even put up there. And he's telling his parents, hey, look, there's some weird stuff going on in here. This place is not, doesn't look like it's safe or anything like that. And not only that, but the experiments that they're actually doing on Eli to say that it, they're curing him, it, they don't have any clue at what they're actually putting in Eli at all to make him feel like that he's actually going to get cured from this disease that he actually has. But I love the aspect of the fact that, you know, you have these parents who wants the best for their kid. The kid wants to be a normal kid like everybody else. He doesn't want to be a bubble boy forever. He wants to go on ahead and live a life like it, like all the other kids, but he can't because he's trapped in this whole entire thing. 
And that's what made me be engaged for the first 40 minutes because it's making me wonder, is this kid going to get cured? And how are they going to actually survive this house, especially under lockdown too, and this environment, and it's also in a haunted house. So I'm wondering how are they going to escape, especially whenever the kid can't go outside or anything. And he's also got that space suit off now, and there's no mention of that anymore. But it makes me wonder, how are they going to escape under those conditions? So it goes in from being that point, and then it goes into the final act. And this is not going to be a spoiler or anything like that. But I'm just going to tell you. I feel like they didn't really know what they wanted to do with the final act of this movie. So, in other words, it's, it turns in from a kid that want, that actually has germs and it wants to be cured. Okay, that part was cool. They're implanting him with the stuff to cure him. We don't know what that is, but it's supposed to cure him. But it's actually making him sicker and not actually making him actually wanting it's not making it not caring at all matter of fact he actually does some research to actually show that there's actually other people that died and didn't even recover from the condition that he actually has so therefore there's no trust in that or anything like that after he discovers what he discovered the parents don't believe him they think he's a wacko and everything else but anyways what i'm trying to get at is this the third and final act they i feel like they didn't know what they wanted to be for example you have a simple premise at the very beginning. This kid has a disease. We know that. Check. But now they're trying to make it into an exorcism movie. Then they said, oh no, we're not going to do an exorcism movie. So what they do is they go on ahead and they go on ahead and do a carry thing where he has telepathic powers. Then it goes from telepathic powers to where my dad is the devil. And that's why I have these powers. I'm like, what the heck is going on in this final act? It goes from being a kid who who wants to be cured to this. And I'm like, this reminds me of the time when I watched The Lazarus Pit. And that movie was horrible. It started off good and then, boop, it just crashed and burns like no tomorrow. And <clears throat> I really, really cannot recommend this movie. Like I said, I like the premise at the very beginning. The very first part of it, it's really good. The last act, forget about it. So if you're expecting a lot from this movie, Eli, I don't recommend you watch it. But hey, if you do, let me know if you liked it or not. But for me, the premise and everything is cool. The last act, not so much. So watch it at your own risk. I'm not here to tell you what you can and cannot watch. That's not my job. My job is to articulate why I didn't like a certain movie or whatever. And then let you have your own interpretation of what you want to see. But anyways, that's that review for that. Now I'm going to do a Goosebumps. No, no, not a Goosebumps. My bad. I'm going to be doing a Are You Afraid of the Dark review. And I'm going to go on ahead and talk about the 90s nostalgia compared to the reboot. Now, in the 90s nostalgia, what I loved about the 90s nostalgia is the music, the theme music. Because it gives you that eerie creepiness. It shows the swing moving back and forth in the air, in the air and everything. And it also gives you a kind of a creepy vibe. And not only that, but then you also have these kids that are part of the Midnight Society that sits by a campfire and tells ghost stories. And they name the name of the ghost story. And then they throw the sand in the thing. And then, bam, there's your story. The story comes to life, but not in the character's world. It comes into the perspective of the character actually telling that particular story. And the reboot, on the other hand... 
to me, I didn't feel any creepiness of the theme song music for Are You Afraid of the Dark? I felt like it was very quick. The credits wasn't even that great. The eeriness wasn't there. The swing thing was there. But there was not that eeriness about it. And then it goes into the characters too. And it's mostly primarily focused on the characters itself. It's not focused on the stories that they actually tell surrounded in this whole entire uh, story when they're camping in the woods. So there's that. And it also has kind of like a goosebumps kind of feel to it. Also uh, scary stories to tell in the dark kind of flavor to it. But to me, I really wanted it just to be about a, just one setting where kids are telling stories rather than letting the story come to life in the character's world. But that's what they did and that's what they chose. So it's pretty much about a haunted carnival and these kids go missing at this haunted carnival. And nobody has any memory of even being at this carnival at all or anything like that. There's this girl that moved into this town. She doesn't really quite fit in at all or anything like that. So this other kid, Ben, that's what I'm calling the kid that played in It because that was actually the character's name. And he has his crush on her or so we think he does. But anyways... They start writing like little riddles on certain horror aspects and stuff like that. Then all of a sudden she becomes part of the Midnight Society. And they initiate her in. She tells the story about this uh, haunted carnival and stuff like that. And then nobody remembers the, the kid being there or anything like that. And all of a sudden, and they get, get this, Mr. Top Hat is actually the main villain in this whole entire thing. Because he's actually controlling the camp to where nobody remembers these kid, like certain kid that went missing and stuff like that. So it happens to be, I want to say this girl also went through the same thing when she was little because the kids aren't going through a flashback kind of scene back and forth. And that's the primary focus on that whole entire thing. But I just feel like they could have done a lot better job with what they had. But I get the fact that they actually wrote this as a movie and not as a TV show because it actually shows that this thing would have been too long because it clocks in at 44 minutes an episode. That's without commercials because I actually watch this on YouTube rather than DVR it because of the fact that I forgot that they even did the Are You Afraid of the Dark uh, episodes and it actually aired so I didn't get a chance to record it. So I'm just going to say this. If you're into this kind of setting to where stories actually come to life in real life where these characters are actually being portrayed... You're going to love this movie. It has kind of like a Goosebumps kind of flavor to it with the movie aspect with Jack Black. So there's that. And there's also the Haunted Carnival. I'm going to be watching the third and final episode even though because I'm already invested in two episodes and I have to know how it ends because I have to have closure. But right now and everything, it's an okay show and stuff like that for a remake or a reboot, whatever you want to call it. But I still love my 90s nostalgia factor. I don't really care for how they did this. But hey, if you like this show and everything, that's kudos for you. I get the fact this is a kid's show and not an adult show. I get that as well. But for me, it just falls into certain pieces for me not to enjoy this this TV show as, as much as I've wanted to. Like I said, I wanted it to be more centered around them sitting around a campfire telling stories and that story comes to life through their story that they're telling but anyways that's not what we got now i'm going to move on to 
another thing that I'm going to be talking about. I'm going to be talking about the Star Wars trailer that dropped today for The Rise of Skywalker. Now, I had goosebumps watching this thing because it shows Ray hugging Carrie Fisher. It shows a lot of nostalgia to the old saga. It even says this is the end of the saga. This is the end of it all. And it makes me wonder if Ray is still a clone because don't forget, J.J. Abrams also said that he was going to reuse the hand that was floating in space for for The Force Awakens, but they never actually got a chance to use it. They actually cut that part out, but they were going to actually use that hand and it was actually supposed to be Luke Skywalker's hand. So what I'm thinking is still, I'm thinking that she's still a clone. And don't forget, we also have Dark Sidious. He's back again, the Emperor. And I feel like, too, that maybe he has other clones, other versions of Rey, other versions of Darth Vader that's buried deep. Because don't forget, the Clone Wars and everything actually introduced you to the clones. So what I'm thinking is, is the fact that Rey is a clone. We have two different versions of Rey. We have the dark side of Rey, and we also have the light side of Rey. And I think that he made a dark side of Rey. But... There's also another aspect, too, that I'm actually following along with this whole entire thing. I'm thinking, too, that Kylo Ren is using Rey because it actually shows them to working together to take down the dark, dark side, which I think they actually took down Darth Vader as a clone. I'm not 100% sure. I actually have to go back and rewatch that trailer again just to see what I saw. But that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that he's actually, they're working together, and then in the end, Rey, Kylo is going to go on ahead, backstab Rey, to show the Emperor that he is still worthy of being a, a Darth, being part of the dark side. And so that would actually put Rey at being, joining the dark side. But I'm thinking too, maybe if she joins the dark side, it's her way of trying to break down things from the inside rather than just being part of the light side. But that also goes against the whole entire Jedi part in this whole entire thing. But I think this too also means that the end of 3PO because we actually see him getting himself put back together again after being ripped apart or whatever. And he's basically, I think, saying goodbye to one last time to his friends. I think someone else is going to probably die. I don't know if Lando is going to die. I don't know if certain other characters are going to die. But I have a feeling that we're going to see someone dying. But another thing too, I'm hoping they don't try and force the Rose character love interest with the other character again I forgot the character's name but I hope they don't try and force that because it didn't work in The Last Jedi too much but other than that I don't want to see a repeat of seeing the Death Star because look we already saw we get it there's a Death Star we saw it in in the Star Wars um The Force Awakens and we saw it in the original trilogy we get it there's a there's actually a there's actually that up in the sky we get it you know, we don't need to see it again. But I feel like they're actually going to show that one more time where we actually see a Death Star. And I really hope not because it's just same old repetitive stuff over and over again. I get the fact that you have to do that in The Force Awakens to reintroduce us back into this universe. But you don't have to keep shoving it down our throats that there's a new version of the Death Star. Just do something new, something fresh that we can actually love. And the slow motion effects between... And everything actually works in this trailer whenever you're dealing with Rey jumping from one side to the other. And it actually flashes back with her from The Force Awakens. I like that part. 
This trailer looks really good. It didn't really give out a lot of details or anything like that in the trailer. It makes us wonder, allow us to speculate a little bit, allow us to use our imaginations. But I'm excited to see this in December. I cannot wait to see the last part of this trilogy, trilogy directed by J.J. Abrams. I'm a huge Star Wars sweaty. I hope that you guys actually enjoy Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. But that's just a few of my thoughts on a few things that I thought that was interesting about the trailer and also a little bit of th- fan theories as well. Now I'm going to talk about <clears throat> the Jared Leto thing. Jared Leto said, now this is just hearsay and stuff like that. This is not 100% facts or anything like that. Despite what certain people are actually reporting. Because I haven't seen any other site that I follow that actually reported this. But anyways, Jared Leto didn't like the fact that Walking Phoenix got a chance to be the Joker and he didn't. Let me just t- say this. If you're complaining about that, don't be complaining about it. Because you know why? Walking Phoenix's character does not go along with your version of the Joker. Your version of the Joker goes with the DCEU. The DCEU uses aliens. It uses superpowers. It uses everything but what the Joaquin Phoenix uh, version of the Joker actually is. The Joaquin Phoenix Joker is dealing with realism and mental health while also trying to figure out why he's even in this mentalist, if he's in a mentalist institution and everything else too. But Joaquin Phoenix's performance is just fantastic in that movie. But it's two different universes. And not only that, but we already knew that he wasn't going to be in The Birds of Prey. Because Harley already broke up with Joker. And I even speculated this. We may not see this version of Jared Leto's Joker anymore. We might actually see a non-tattooed Joker. And the reason why I'm saying that is because of the fact, like I said in my Birds Birds of Prey review, if you look at the Harley Quinn drawing, that she did. There's no tattoos. There's no grills of the Joker or anything like that. It's just the picture of the Joker. So what I'm thinking is, is they're going to probably use a non-tattoo Joker with grills. And I think that's going to be perfectly fine for some people because of the fact that they didn't like the way Jared Leto's Joker actually looked. I actually did an experiment one day where I actually posted the Jared Leto Joker without the tattoos, without the grills. And guess what? And I didn't even say who that person was. I just said, this is awesome. This is an awesome Joker picture. Next thing you know, I was like, oh, I love that. That is so awesome. Who is that? Jared Leto. Really? I didn't know that was Jared Leto. That looks awesome. So that told me right there, they weren't sold on the look of the Joker. Besides the performance of what Jared did. But he did what he had to do for what was best for the script in the direction of what the director actually had to go in. And they don't realize this, that this was actually the direction the WB Studios and the executives wanted to go into. It wasn't Jared Leto's fault that the way that it looked. It wasn't the actor's fault. It was the director and the executives and also the WB Studios that went in the direction that they felt like they needed to go into. Like I said... That's just that's just how it is. But anyways, what's your thoughts on that? Another thing, too, that I want to mention as well, because there's a lot of people that are complaining, is the fact that Robert Pattinson's Batman is not going to be part of the Walking Phoenix's thing. Who cares? Or anything like that. 
Because we were already told from the very beginning when this thing broke down production that this was going to be an Elseworld Joker, not connected in with any of the DCEU stuff, not connected in with the comic books. So we already knew that was actually going to happen. It's old news and people are getting upset because of the fact that they think that because our judge is now finding out. I get the fact that we're a small community where we actually keep up with the certain things or whatever. But this is how I always viewed the Joaquin Phoenix thing. Think of it like this. You're reading a comic book. Not all comic books are connected in with that one storyline. So therefore, you have one story about the Joker that's not connected in with the other continuity of those set comics because it's its own entity. And that's exactly what that is. It's its own thing separated from the DCEU stuff. And that's how I viewed it. As a new comic book, a new setting on how we can actually view the Joker. And that's how I felt about it. So, anyways, tell me what you guys think. Did you like the Star Wars Rise of Skywalker trailer? Tell me what you think. I think about that. 